0: Welcome to episode number 38 of the National Land Realty Podcast, where we discuss all things land. Our goal here is to inform, educate, and entertain those of you who own land or are interested in the buying and selling of land throughout the United States. My name is Mac Christian, and I am the Chief Marketing Officer here at National Land Realty, and I'll be your host for this episode. Now, buying land and building a home is a dream that we all talk about. There's a lot of land for sale in the United States, but how do you know that that land is right to build on? Today, I'm talking with Matthew Sturkey, Vice President of Sales and Marketing for Stone Mill Log and Timber Homes. Matthew grew up in this industry, and there isn't much that he doesn't know about site selection and log home building. Matthew is here today to tell you what you need to know when buying land to build on. Now sit back and enjoy. sitting here with matthew sturkey and uh he's with stone mill log and timber homes they're out of nashville they're knoxville tennessee i I've, I've been messing up the states and the, and the locations here lately um so you know matthew we're here to talk about sort of a a, a prospective is looking at land and the, you know they probably want their forever home. They, and you were talking about goals a little bit earlier, where it might not be forever home. It might just be some. You know, I want a couple shacks on there on the on the land. But there's a right. lot to consider before you go into it. Um, and but I, I want to get sort of just ask you. You know, how did you how did you end up with Stone Mill? How did you end up where you are now?
1: Uh, great question. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. And um, uh, Stone Mill Log and Timber Homes, we're uh, family owned and operated business of 48 years. Uh, we're a second generation company. My, my father started the company in 1974 and uh, retired pretty close to the time that I came in. I used to work a lot of summer jobs in high school middle school dad had me doing a a, a kind of litany of different things from uh, working down at the plant to working in the design room to uh, working out in the field so it's it's in my blood it's it's something I've been around my entire life and something I've I've been professionally doing since 97 I came into the business uh, at undergrad about 22 years old, and and came into our sales department at that time. So done a little bit of everything. Uh, We uh, help prospective clients do all of the design and fabrication and the installation of what we call the unique log and timber frame components. And we we help prospective clients that are looking to build forever homes, uh, their dream homes, all the way to uh, rental properties and everything in between uh, with regards to second homes. Uh, third homes, but um, it's a really cool, unique business. We are a, a really a niche industry within the housing industry, and and our company is a niche business within within our industry. We uh, we specialize in only a what we call a flat log dovetail style construction and log construction, and then we do uh, what we call timber frame construction as well. So really fun business. i've been been doing it now. This is my twenty six year professionally, but I've been around it you know my whole life. You know I've
0: got some jealousy at at your childhood because you got to go like hang out and it, it sounds much cooler than mine. I got shipped out <laughs> to an to a industrial feed mill where my family owned <laughs> a, a feed mill, and I had to go shovel grain in a basement all day and you got to like play around with
1: log homes. I'm jealous. Yeah, so my childhood grew up with uh, Lincoln Logs. That was one of my <laughs> favorite things to do. And then I was a dirt mound baby, so I would go out to sites with dad, and uh, he would talk to clients, and and I would go play on the dirt mound. And uh, <laughs> that was uh, that was fun. Um, you know, certainly growing up in the business, you're you're always immersed in it, and and everything from you know, making catalogs, my my ping pong table in our basement that we used to love to play on got turned into a catalog making station. And my sister was the boss, right? She was the one that was, you know, cracking the whip, making sure that we were making catalogs. She was the one that was, uh, she was five years older. So it was just a part of our family. It was a part of, of really everything that we did. It was, it was, it was all we really knew. So, um, so when I grew up, you know, being in construction and and going out on sites with the road crew, and staying out in hotels with them, I mean, some of these guys were like family to me, and you know, taught me how to drive trucks, and and uh, just kind of took me under their wing. So it's uh, it's been a it's been a fun business. It's just been a it's been a family affair for for almost fifty years.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say, like you're still in it, and and your your son is is
1: still a part of it, and he's coming up. And no, out. so so we're second generation. So it's it's myself and my brother in law and um uh, my father retired in 97 my sister worked in the business for many years she retired in about 1997 as well to have children and so it's been since um you know my brother-in-law came in in 94 and then i came in professionally in 97. i've got four boys they don't seem to have any intent on uh, coming to the business and my brother-in-law rob has two sons who aren't intending to come into the business either. So, um, we, um, uh, we're, we're currently second generation and still going strong. That's excellent
0: though. And, and the homes that you build, I, I, I've looked through your catalog pretty, you know, spent some time looking through it and it's, I, I, I know that you guys work nationally and I know that you have some, some outfits here at Idaho and a lot of, some of the homes do look familiar to me and you you go up into the mountains here and the types of homes you mentioned that it's a niche. And, and as far as real estate goes, and it's it's funny out here because you, anytime you go up into the pine and into the forest and stuff, like it's not the niche, it is the norm to have like right. homes and that type of construction set up for the land. So it's very, very common here. And then we see a lot of that in Missouri, um, you know, where, where we'll see stuff like similar buildings, not sure if you're based out of there, but and then, you know, just any kind of mountainous areas that, that you see these types of homes. So they're definitely widespread.
1: Yeah for sure we project ourselves you know all over the country and the reason that we can do that is 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 our specialty is just focusing on the unique log and and timber frame components so we'll partner with the owner and a general contractor in the area that the client's building. We recently finished a project in uh, Whidbey Island, Washington. So if you can think about how far we're projecting ourselves from East Tennessee to 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 basically the farthest point of of Washington State, just about and. Right and that's and the reason we can do that is we're coming out there doing a specialized scope of work you know the local contractor is going to put in all of your foundation and subfloor per our engineered plans we're going to build what we call the shell or the skeleton we're going to get it dried in and then the builder is going to finish it out so we partner with that builder and he or she takes our engineered stamp plans and pulls permits and gets everything ready for us we come in and get the shell erected and dried in and then they take it from there.
0: Right. So you you guys produce the shell and then your local contractors will do the interior finishes to get the place correct for, for living. Correct. Correct.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We'll send our crew out from here to install the shell because that's that's the part that you won't find people in the different areas around the country with any experience right that it requires a very high level of expertise and experience and knowledge about construction of log and timber frame components it's it is a niche um, uh, business and so. Being able to project ourselves, we take the guesswork or kind of the unknown, uh, you know, entities or quantities, you know, out of the equation for the general contractor and leave all the what we call conventional items for for he or for he or she. So, you know, foundation work, you know, finish work, cabinetry, countertops, plumbing, electrical, those types of things are left to the local vendors and local subs. Got gotcha. you. So yeah, let's dive in a little bit here. and and
0: and with the scenario of we do have a lot of of activity in the buying of vacant land here. In the, in, yeah. and it's been going on for the last two years. and and we're we're seeing a plateau in the in the industry as far as as real estate in general, but with your rural lands and your vacant land, we don't see as much deceleration in the market right now, anyways. I mean, you know, right. I to do a month from now, but it's still a strong market. And and a lot of that are people that are sort of making it up as they go. Where yeah, I don't necessarily want to live in an urban area, and so maybe I want to buy some land. And you know, what would be awesome is is to put a great house on a big chunk of land and have this be like right. my legacy. Or, or you have people that are like retiring and doing it that way, or, or you just have people moving away from urban areas just to get the heck out of town, and, yeah. and so you have this combination of of people that are targeting, you know, just land in general. But then that's sort of where the rule book stops. Where and like I've gone through this myself, where I've looked at, you know, like okay, how do I do this, and then you you start looking at land for sale. And then you realize you have no idea what you're doing like what how do i set this up how do i set up an access road how do i how do i know if this is even the right land and so right so that's sort of you know that's that's where i'm uh, i'm leaning on you a lot here uh so walk me through sort of that journey on if somebody's wanting to pick up a piece of land and they prospectively want to put a house up on it but they just don't know where to go next
1: yeah there's a there's a lot to think about and and certainly we we want a, a prospective client that is looking to build a forever home or a second home or rental property to be uh, as educated as possible going in. We're we're excited for them that they found the right track of land, but we also wanna make sure that they do their due diligence and go through a feasibility exercise to make sure that the property they're looking to uh, close on If they haven't already closed on it uh is the right piece of property for what they're doing so there's several things that you know have to be taken into consideration and some of these follow in line with a you know lot land and lot you know real estate contract but not everything is unfortunately encapsulated in that for you know an agent that is uh selling a vacant piece of land they have to have experience in knowing what you know, to tell a prospective buyer, prospective, you know, landowner what they need to be looking out for and some of the things that they need to take into consideration before actually, you know, getting through that due diligence process and closing on that property. And, and as a builder of log and timber frame homes exclusively, you know, we try to help clients about the things that they need, the Uh, kind of hurdles or uh, obstacles, for lack of better words, the things that they need to take into consideration in that due diligence period. So, you know, starting with kind of your location and your zoning, it's important if you're a client and you're a retiree and you need certain services, if you're going out into the middle of nowhere and you're 45 minutes to an hour from the nearest hospital or the nearest, you know, place for amenities or services. that's something that we always talk to clients about is how close do you want to be to the nearest hospital or to the nearest grocery store? I mean, some of these places in some of these rural areas that we work in, you know, you might be 15 or 20 miles, but it might take 30 to 45 minutes to to drive to anywhere, you know, with the the topography and the the the, the roads and and the and the uh, uh, and, this, and the infrastructure getting in, so you want to take location into consideration, and and how close do you want to be? Like you said, there's been this really what we've seen is this mass exodus out of some of these bigger cities into these rural communities where people are wanting to escape almost out into these areas buy this larger track of land get a little bit of privacy and a little bit of space between them and their neighbors and it's almost like this this lifestyle that people are trying to you know trying to achieve and so in getting there you want to make sure you take all these things to consider, into consideration location zoning so you know for our uh, specifically for our rental or our investment clients who are looking to buy rental properties, you wanna make sure that your zoning is correct or um, to make you know set up to accommodate a rental. Because if you're in an area like East Tennessee where you've got a really um, high traffic VRBO area and you go in and buy a piece of property in an area that's zoned R1 with no allowance for rentals or into a development that doesn't allow for rentals it's important that you know that going in because that may sway you on whether you close on that property. If you can't build the rental that you want, uh, vice versa, or just the opposite, if you're a retiree and you want to get away from renters and you don't want to deal with people, you you might not want to be in an area that is zoned that allows for rentals. You may want to be in an area that does not allow for rentals. Um, so zoning is important. Uh, looking at covenants and restrictions, if you're going into a development or if there are any, you know, restrictions on the property, making sure you know what those are as far as you know square footages um, or what you are able to and not able to build. If you're if you're going into an area that's got a, a an architectural review committee or a set of covenants and restrictions, you want to. You want to be privy to those to make sure that all of those covenants restrictions allow for what you're wanting to do. So that's kind of the first really important thing to consider is the location and the zoning. Then you start getting into some of your infrastructure and your utilities, which is what you were talking about earlier. Yeah.
0: Um, I I was going to say too. you, like you were bringing up the, the, you know, making sure that you, you have ready access to everything, right. Where, where, you know, you want to make sure that that you're close enough to the hospital if you're if you have health troubles, right, or yeah. or things like that. But I was I was even thinking a little further on making sure that your road gets plowed. You know, there there's certain little things like if you're far enough outside of city, lim, city limits and it's a snow area, you might not have a plowing option, or there's sure. access things there to take into consideration as well. And and then you brought up the house sizing thing, and I have seen situations where somebody has in mind to build something, they go through with an architect, they get the land, and there's a restriction on the size of house they have, they're not allowed to have a house that big, or something like that, where they have sure. to go back and redo the whole process again, and it's that that upfront due diligence, or or even you know somebody who wants to build out in the middle of nowhere and because it's lovely and you don't realize there's a commercial zoning next to you and somebody has like a very very loud enterprise next to your land and it's perfectly perfectly valid because it's zoned for that those are just do your homework before you pick up the land and make sure that it's right for what your goals are
1: for sure and and another thing too that that we didn't talk about which is extremely important and I've got a client that we're working with right now that owns an incredible track of land uh, that borders the Great Smoky Mountain National Park. And his driveway is two miles from the entrance to his property. And it traverses a 2,000-foot elevation change. You go from 1,000 feet in elevation to 3,000 feet in elevation. This two-mile driveway goes straight up the mountain. So, this, so is, this is I'm, where, back east. <laughs> yeah, where I'm going. Where I'm going with this, and we'll kind of cover this in the next in the next topic or the next item, is I said to him, "Hey, before we get started, make sure your insurance company is not going to have an issue, and you're not going to have any insurability issues with where you're planning to build." And he goes, "I hadn't thought about that." So he called his insurance company, and they were asking him, "All right, how far?" specifically how many miles is it to the nearest fire department where's the next or the nearest uh, fire hydrant and what they came to the realization of is that the fire department and the um, fire hydrant was not going to be available or close enough to accommodate that so we've got to have another way to be able to get water in case of of a fire Um, and then They basically did their due diligence, asked some questions. Insurance is not going to be an issue for him. It's just things to take into consideration because, again, if you're out in a rural area and you're out 30 miles from the nearest, you know, usually, you know, you're not going to be that far from a fire department. You might have a volunteer fire department. Those things play into the cost of your insurance. You also want to make sure that you can actually afford the insurance that you're going to have on the home, because there, if there are uh, certain conditions of the property and its location, you want to take those things into consideration. Yeah. I was going
0: to, I was thinking about the volunteer fire department, right. As you were talking, I grew up in a town with a volunteer fire department. It is not to yeah. knock them. I mean, I, oh, I mean, no, they're heroes, but you're still talking about somebody who's at home asleep and they have to yes. wake up in the middle of the night to go there. It's not a dedicated fire department. That's just waiting to right. take a call. I mean, I know I know half the people in our volunteer fire department, and they got to wake up and get out the door. and like that takes time. and and they're you know, they're training stuff, but you never know. and And so, if those are things that you're concerned about, you have to take that into consideration. I was going to ask you with this with this access road that you're talking about is it, I'm I'm guessing it's like crazy switchbacks. Is it something that the the building crew can even get up with a large truck to get the trussing and stuff? Yeah. In yeah. So, okay.
1: so we can get the road built and the, and the infrastructure built to accommodate delivery vehicles. It's just things, you know, that you really have to take into consideration, which really kind of goes into our next point, which is, you know, infrastructure and utilities. When, yeah. when you put an, when you put an offer on a piece of property and, and, and the agent sets this due diligence period, you have a certain amount of days in a due diligence period before, you know, you move out of that and into kind of a closing phase. You wanna make sure you get kind of a general idea of where those utilities are coming from. You know, I've got a a client uh, out in California right now, and they're looking at a a 70 acre track uh, in East Tennessee, not, not far from us, but it is in a pretty rural community. And the property, where the road comes into the property there's a shared easement to get into the property it's a little farther away from where the utilities are located at the main road so the question's got to be that we're going to try to find out next week how far do we have to bring the driveway to the building site how far do we have to bring power water if water's at the road if if water's not at the road then where are we going to put a well Um, is there sewer which a lot of times in our area and most of the areas we go into there isn't city sewer it's all septic and you get into then you get into the whole percolation issue and does the property perk for the number of bedrooms that you want to build we get clients that a lot of times want to build these forever homes they won't build four or five bedrooms And if the property only perks for three, then you wanna know that going in. So you wanna make sure a perk test has been done. And then you wanna look at that infrastructure and say, okay, how far do we have to bring power, water? How far do we have to bring the sewer? How far does the road have to come in? You know, what does that cost structure look like? Because when you're looking at a a budget goal for a building project, you're really looking at it in three, three parts, the land, The improvements to the land, and then the cost of building the home. So that infrastructure cost has to be somewhat defined. I mean, I'm not talking about get down to the penny, but it has to be somewhat defined um, because we want to make sure when we're we're looking at this property here locally for this client, prospective client, you know, we want to make sure we can identify, you know, what utilities are going to be available and how far we have to bring them and what that cost impact is going to be because that may be part of a discussion about, okay, is the budget going to accommodate that um, and and in getting that infrastructure in. So those are really the four big ones. When you talk about infrastructure and utilities, you know, your road infrastructure, um, your power, your, uh, you know, your, your well or your, um, um, or your, um, um, you know, water, And then your your sewer or your septic system uh, when it comes Uh, into the utilities, and that's each one of those has their own complications
0: too, right? Like I mean, like roads, you have to make sure that wherever you're wanting to put your place, that you might just think you have to knock trees down, but let's say you have soft soil, let's say you have water under that a little bit, and where you've got to build the land up and stuff, that can that can bring out a drastic cost. Power running it out there, and then the other another one too that I I thought of was. Are you is that land at annexation risk? Like, is there a possibility you might have to annex that property into city limits within a certain amount of time? Because that's that can be ten to twenty thousand dollars to hook things up. Right. Um, So sure. it's another cost to hook things up. Another one is the wells. And I don't think you all see that as, as much out east because you have more water than you know what to deal with. But like out west, we, the big thing here is you can get land, but then people will drill a thousand feet and still not hit water. And oh yeah, that, and,
1: that's a real thing here too, for yeah,
0: okay. sure. I was curious yeah. about that because that's a really big. I mean, because that's an expensive undertaking is to drill, especially if you start really going down there. Um, that can that can really cost the price to raise on you. And then the sewer and septic, you might think it's fine. And like you were saying, like if it's if it's if it's set up for a three-bedroom house and that's all they're they're going to approve, then you might be out of luck if you want a four-bedroom or at least accommodate for it. Um, you know, if you have a water source nearby and you have this, the septic there, like that can cause real problems.
1: Yeah. And the good thing is, is that there are options. I mean, if you're buying this, you know, a hundred acre or two or 300 acre tract of land and you want to put the house in the middle of the property and you've got utilities at the road, you don't necessarily have to bring the water from the road and the sewer from the road. You could very easily decide to do a well and or a septic system making sure that you've got a perp test done to accommodate the number of bedrooms that you want to put in. So you do have options because sometimes getting infrastructure from the main road to where the building site is, like in the case of this particular project here in East Tennessee that's at a 3,000 foot elevation, we're doing a septic system and we're doing a well. It's not cost effective to bring city water and city sewer in from the bottom of the mountain up this two-mile driveway that traverses 2,000 feet in two miles. I mean, that's straight up. And so it's going to be a lot more cost-effective to basically place the house and put a septic system in uh, to accommodate that, the design that he wants and to do a well, even though we are at a pretty high altitude. Um, you know, yeah, we'll get into some wells that are and 900 feet uh, and you know, they may have a fairly low yield, you know, per minute, like six gallons or something, but it's a lot more economical than bringing city water up a two mile driveway that traverses 2000 feet in altitude. <laughs>
0: As you're saying that it's like, Oh, that sounds rough, but yeah. running a well from 800 feet is you get a good pump and drill the hole and you're good. Sure. um. And you're right. So you can, you can maintain a house off of six gallons a minute. I grew up in one and then yeah, it's, it's definitely doable. Um, the, the last, last
1: thing real quick last thing, yeah, and, yeah. and this is something that's in a, you know, in a real estate, you know, lot and land, real estate contract is the, um, uh, feasibility and, and the per and the percolation test, making sure that's, that's really important. And and that with a larger tract of land, it's usually not an issue. Uh, Because you've got enough acreage that you can find the right soil to build um, the the house that you want to build. In the smaller lots, though, it becomes a little bit more tricky and and important to make sure to get a soil test done and that the soil test will support the design that you want. Because if you're, again, trying to build a four or five or six bedroom house and the property only perks uh, for a three bedroom house, you know, you might want to reconsider yeah and well, this actually feeds really really well
0: into i just recorded a podcast with one of our land professionals nicholas Artis, and he was talking about maximizing the value of land and the ways to like to really boost what you get out of your land when you go to sell and so i'm talking more about landowners and he was very very specific about the most effective things that you can do is one Create good access roads around the property, meaning to uh, to a location and then around the, the whole the whole property. But then he sure. was very specific on figure out a home site, get it surveyed, get it get it tested for you know exactly what you're talking about, get it uh, set up for sewer and and or or septic and get that zoned out and you know figure out how to get basically all the stuff that you're talking about. Landowners, if you're looking to sell. If you want to figure out these places in, you know, in advance of selling to somebody like that wants to build their forever home, getting the stuff taken care of before you go to market is going to make your life much, much easier because exactly like what you're saying, Matthew, somebody could get in there and find out that this isn't the right property for them. And then your deal falls apart. And, or, or if it's going to be too expensive to set it up or, or it's too much of a hassle or the timeline doesn't work any number of things. So landowners, if you're looking to sell, can take care of this stuff up front that's just going to make this whole thing go much much smoother and you'll know what you have in terms of value for sure i had to throw that disclaimer on there i was like wow this dovetails really nice into that other conversation
1: (laughs) yeah no there's just a lot of things to you know to take into consideration really the the third one um you know goes really hand in hand with that and it and it and it Really falls in line with that feasibility condition, and I and I look at it from a building standpoint with regards to building feasibility, and and the big question that prospective clients want to know, who are looking at a larger tract of land or even just um, a, a vacant piece of property to build their forever home, is is it feasible to build what I want on this particular property? You know, when 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 they kind of. Ask that very broad question, you, you take into consideration a few things. One, you take into consideration the design and the square footage that they want to build. You know, what I try to encourage prospective clients is, you know, don't get stuck on a design until you own the property because you really have to custom design your home to the property. But some people don't want to be in a three-story home. They don't want to to navigate stairs. You know, we're we're getting older, you know, we're getting hip replacements and shoulder surgery and we're getting knee replacements and we're we're falling apart, right? So a lot of our clients wanna build this forever home, you know, on one story and have maybe a lower level that will take care of, you know, guests and and grandkids and and rec rooms and overflow space, but they don't wanna to have to go up and downstairs constantly to get to their bedroom. And so if you're looking at a piece of property that's got a lot of topography on it, a lot of slope to it, and it's more suitable for a lower level design, but yet yeah, you're a, an older client that wants to be on one floor, okay, we might want to find a different place to site the the, the, the home, uh, or we might want to look at another track of land, another piece that doesn't have as much topography. So you got to kind of think about not what the finished design is, but what the concept is, you know, am I okay with having three stories, main floor, upper floor, lower level, or do I just want a one story home to live in as my forever home? So, so that's the first thing is the design itself. Uh, The next one is topography from a standpoint of building cost. So when you get into some of these steeper lots and you've got more excavation, and you've got more grading, and you've got more retaining walls, you want to make sure that you take that into consideration before you just jump right in to buying this property. Or if you've got a large enough piece of property, but yet where the building site is to be located, where you want to put the house to take advantage of that view, it's steeper, you know, maybe there's some evidence of rock, you want to take these things in consideration, just get kind of an idea of what that infrastructure, what that cost is going to look like, because, you know, infrastructure and utilities and how that relates to the actual building feasibility plays a big part in the, the overall cost of of building that home. And then, um, you know, you said something, too, about having a survey done, and that's, and that's important. You know, this particular property that I was mentioning in East Tennessee orders the National Park, and the road going into, uh, from the entrance of the property to where the building site is, kind of in one place, hugs the edge of the National Park. So, our intent before the survey was done was to cut back the, the hillside so that we could get a wider road up, but we can't, cut it far enough back to where we want, because there's a setback line from the national park that we can't infringe upon. And so you got to, the survey is really important, especially for smaller properties the property lines, knowing where they are, knowing where the house seat's going to be, and surveying that is really important to know that you're within the setback requirements and within the uh, the boundaries and the property lines themselves uh, to make sure that you're not infringing on 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 any property line. Yeah, and you brought up hitting rocks too. I mean, it's not even so much
0: like you mentioned the excavation costs and stuff, but then like you could end up in a more complicated position where like you have to blast rock. Which is a whole different set of problems, right? Where you know you got to schedule it, make sure that you can do that, because you have to be in an area that you can do something like that, or or if there's other means to remove it, but you just want to make yeah. sure it, it, it. all comes back to like do the homework up front is is sure. the biggest, most important thing um, that I'm hearing from you. Is it, it's just so important?
1: Yeah. Or or again, it gives you another option. It's like, hey, we really wanted to have the house seat located here maybe we shift it over a, a little bit to a different location and that's the beauty about having larger tracts of land you know if you're buying 50 acres or 100 acres you have more options right there's multiple building sites if you're buying one acre you're you're limited right you're you're limited more when when you're buying the smaller tracts of land the smaller acreages or the lots that's when that due diligence really really becomes more more um, important um, because you don't have as much property to work with. You've got uh, property lines, you've got setback requirements and you have to be within those setback requirements. And if you're trying to build this sprawling one level house, that's 120 feet long and 60 feet deep. And you don't have the, the the acreage to do that within based on the property lines and the setbacks, you might want to rethink that design. Right. Right.
0: It's, It's very, very important um so we are were, we're talking sort of about cost run up and, and there's all these situations that and, and what it comes down to is everybody goes in to any kind of real estate transaction with a budget and sure. And, and the one thing I think that probably every single person probably finds out is it's going to cost more money than what you expect. It just, I, I feel like that's always the case. Like, I'm going to, this is my budget limit. Then you finally see the things that you want compared to the things that you can afford. And you realize that like you, you have to make concessions and, and the cost, like what you anticipate is usually what, I mean, sometimes people, you know, don't r- run over the budget, but I just feel like that's more often than not. And, so as people watch this stuff, you know, you have to do your homework so that you don't have budget that goes way past where you can't afford to build a house in the first place. But sure. I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about sort of the structure of the combination of purchasing land, and say, like a home that, that you guys work with, what does that look like from the finance side? Is that something they need to like consider into this planning this because kind of pre research as well? Because I feel like a lot of people go into these situations where um, you know, it's like, yeah, you're going to buy some land, put a house on it. And then they don't consider how that's financed, how that's set up and how it's structured.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And something that we uh, we talk to, to clients about all the time, especially those that are currently, you know, maybe under contract with a property trying to do their due diligence and feasibility to see if it's feasible to build what they want. And so we we look at it as an overall budget, not just the cost of the land not just a projected cost of the infrastructure and not just a projected cost of the house. What's the total budget goal? And then you can back into that. So again, nobody has this magic wand or crystal ball. Nobody can say before you've developed a set of plans and picked out specifications and gone out to a general contractor and gotten an estimate, nobody can tell you what it's going to cost. But, in somewhat ballpark right so if you were to say all right we're going into this project we're looking at this hundred acre track of land and we want to build this you know five thousand square foot house this five or six bedroom house and our total budget goal is X right so the first thing we would typically try to do is we would try to get a just a rough ballpark projected cost of the square footage and we would back that out of their total budget The next thing we would do is we would look at the property and kind of get a projected feel for what infrastructure is. Again, we're not dialing it in. We're just trying to get a projection because what we're ultimately trying to do is we're trying to back into what's left over for that land. And, and if what is left over for that land uh, is not enough to cover what the cost of the land is, then you're, you've got a concern, right? So if what's left over and my land budget ends up being uh, 250000 for example, but I'm looking at this, you know, three or $400,000 piece of property, I'm just pulling random numbers out. Then you got to make sure, right? So where's that fifty or $100,000 going to come from after you've bought that piece of property? So you're kind of backing into it. This would really would be an exercise that you would try to do before you ever go out and look at property so that that you can, so that you can try to determine before you start working with your real estate agent, Hey, what properties are we going to look at? You know, I've I've got a total budget of this, you know, I'm thinking that we're projected to be somewhere in this range for the cost of the structure. And then, you know, let's just assume we're going to have this budget set aside for the infrastructure. What's that leave What's left over to go out and and to put into a a piece of a piece of property into the acreage? That's a really good
0: piece of advice, I think, is start out with the start out with the end in mind and work backwards and see, yes. what, see what you end up with. You start out with, you know, I want to live in this type of house or this type of place, work backwards to the land and see where you are.
1: Yeah cuz I mean unfortunately I, I would I would have to say that we do get clients that come in here and they didn't take that into consideration they bought a piece of property just kind of on a whim right they they this is the property that they wanted and they have this vision in mind of this you know four or five bedroom home that ends up being you know 2000 square feet on the main and 2000 square feet on the lower level and they don't really take into consideration what the current building cost structure is and what the infrastructure cost is. And they come to the realization, unfortunately, after the fact, after they've closed on the property and owned it for a period of time, that they don't have enough funds to do what they really wanted to do. And now they're going to have to start making sacrifices on the design itself you can't make sacrifices on the infrastructure right you have to have a road you have to have power you have to have water or well you have to do a septic system or or pull sewer in to put anything on the property doesn't matter whether it's a custom you know high-end log or timber frame home or just a stick and brick right so infrastructure cannot be sacrificed So you end up sacrificing in the design and you end up seeing people having to cut square footage or cut finishes that they want into it or cut that garage out because the garage is more square footage than they can afford to build within what's left over in that budget.
0: Yeah. You don't want to have, you don't want to have uh, that beautiful piece of land and then have that, the four bedroom house in your head turn into a two bedroom house.
1: You know, <laughs> <Right>. that. <laughs> that could happen fast. Yeah. Um, it is and it, and it can be avoided. I mean, you know, of course, a whole nother conversation is, you know, what the process is of getting an accurate building cost. right? That required design, the property finishes and finish selections. And then getting a good faith turnkey estimate from a general contractor. We're just talking kind of in 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 guesstimate ballpark terms on the front end for proper planning to make sure that you're earmarking the right amount of money for the land and the improvements to the land and then the house and making sure that if if one goes over budget, that you have a way to accommodate uh, you're kind of robbing Peter, Pay Paul, kind of to to make that whole equation happen. Yeah, I was going to ask,
0: and it might be a little bit on the spot because it's a little bit off topic is, is what are the financing options available for, because your build process is a little different and the way that people work with you is a little different in in terms of working with a contractor in your area and then you ship in the materials that's assembled on site. So what does it look like from a finance perspective? Is that something that people can apply a mortgage towards? And I, and I just want to ask this so that so that people are aware, so it doesn't seem so scary or or so they
1: have the information. Yeah, yeah for sure. I mean, you know, I, it, if financing wasn't available around the country, I don't think we would have been in business for 48 years. I mean, thankfully, a lot of our clients do pay cash. Um, however, uh, some even that can pay cash don't want to. Um, They don't want to use all the money that they're getting uh, out of the equity of their current, current home. Um, They want to keep some of that in savings or whatever, but there are lending institutions, you know, you've, you've got several options. The the first option is, is look local, right? Go to your local lending institution, talk to them about what options they have. And then if the local options don't work because sometimes local banks aren't able or aren't willing to go out of the box, right? They kind of of fit everything into this pretty small little box. And so then when you get into the larger tracts of land, the lots and the acreage, then you've got some companies like Rural First and kind of putting a plug in for them. All right. There are are companies that do have uh, programs, log home financing programs or programs to finance rural properties, right? That's kind of their specialty. Um, You know, there are several lending institutions that not only deal in rural properties, but also deal in the financing of a log or timber frame home um because that's a unique type construction and they understand some of the unique nature about that building and so you know if local local doesn't work then going out to some of these more regional and national lending institutions that have these you know programs for for financing land and then using that land that has been purchased as collateral towards the the permanent loan, so to speak, or, you know, setting up a construction loan. So we get we get a kind of a multitude of different things with clients. Some will take your more just normal route of doing a construction loan. The property becomes collateral. The construction loan requires that, you know, set of plans and that full blown good faith estimate to close on. And then at the end of construction, that turns into a permanent mortgage. Uh, Or some people come to the project with a certain amount of cash in hand that they're going to infuse into the property. Uh, They already own the property outright, so that becomes collateral. And then they want just a line of credit, like a home equity line of credit that they're just almost like having a gap, right? Some gap financing to fund the remainder of what they don't have. Um, A lot of our clients are, of course, pulling equity out of their current home, when they sell their current home, um, it's 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 owned outright. They've been paying on it for the last you know 20 or 30 years. And they've got all that equity in the home. And that home is much more valuable than it was 30 years ago, right? So they take that equity and they put it into this final forever home. So we see a multitude of different things. And there's just so many really good options out there. That's also how we help partner with you know, our clients is if they need financing or options we've got a list of you know lending referrals that we can send them to everybody from rural first to you know local banks and and then we've got of course we've got homeowners around the country that you know we can get them in touch with to see who they who they used
0: gotcha so so what you're saying is and I'm reading between the lines here is it it's not as intimidating as it can look from the outside if, before you start learning about it there are and, and if you run into a barrier or or what looks like a limitation there's a lot of options out there to be able to do something yes. like this it's not like this is so far outside of the box that that no one can get financed and, and do business it's just not no. it's not as it's not the same path that maybe someone's used to where it's like oh i go there and i just put you know apply for a mortgage and i get the house like it's not going to work like that but
1: exactly and that's where the lending institutions that more special and no you know not saying don't go to a local bank a local banks to, if they're not familiar with it if they're not used to financing a, a 150 or 200 acre track where somebody's wanting to build a really specialized unique log home or a timber frame home my advice to them would be find a local institution lending institution that has experience in that and if you can't find it then let's go to some of the national and regional lenders that do special like the rural first because they understand about appraisals they understand about the process of building a log or timber frame home they understand about the rural nature of that property and you know how far out it is and some of the differences between building in the city and building out in the country uh so yeah i would say find somebody that's more experienced in that and somebody that's more of an expert in that field yeah, well, and so, hey, um,
0: one, I just want to absolutely thank you for the amount of knowledge that you've been able to, like, just communicate here in the, in the last few minutes, you know, just uh, it's invaluable information for anybody that's looking to to set up, you know, where they're going to live uh, or, or, you know, maybe it's maybe it's a rental, like you said, or, or maybe you know, it could be an income source. It's just it's something sure. of the biggest purchases that somebody can make in their life. And if you don't know the details before you go into it, you could end up in a bad situation. And so the information that you've relayed is is so good for somebody that, that is looking to do this.
1: Um, yeah, I was, I was just the last thing I would say is, is don't be intimidated. Just yeah. be prepared. Right. Preparation solves so many so many concerns if if the due diligence is done and and you go out and you you talk to people and you start kind of get a feel for what things are involved in it and doing this due diligence will will help to overcome that intimidation factor that you might have or uh, overlooking something that you know you didn't have to if you had just done your homework on the front end that's that's the biggest thing is planning preparation are so key into um, getting to the end goal. That's the end goal. It's it's not, you know, unless the end goal is just to have a, a, a large tract of land that you just ride, you know, UTVs on all day and then you just go hunt and fish. Um, but if building a home is the end goal, um, just doing, doing your planning and being prepared can help solve a lot of that.
0: Yeah, no, 100%. Um, I, I wanted to, I wanted to be able to throw you a plug here at the end. So one one thing to think about is I we have a lot of land professionals that listen to this podcast. Um, I you know the, there's there's people that are wanting information, and then there's industry professionals that are looking to get more information or to get more educated. And sure. they're not just they're not just from our company. We have land professionals. I, I've I've spotted a couple of listeners uh, through the ranks that that are other companies, which I love. <laughs> um, yeah. But, but the, the one piece of advice there is to gain partnership with a company like yours, with a company like, like you know, with, with Stone Mill and, and just try to work with somebody that can give you some of the information or help you assess what you're working with when you're working with a client um, to, to talk about the land, to talk to somebody like you, and then to have a partner as you go through that journey with somebody who can keep you on point and keep you thinking about those things to be a benefit to your client. And and to be, you know, really, you need to talk to Matthew here and uh, and, and work with Stone Mill on, on what you're
1: doing. Yeah. And there, there's a lot of great, you know, companies out there. And, and you talked about, you know, everybody goes over budget. Well, the goal is for everybody not to go over budget. And the more... The more you know planning and due diligence, and i I know I sound like a broken record, but the more planning and due diligence that you do, the 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 less likely you are to go over budget. and And the reason that so many people go over budget is they don't properly plan and go through those motions on the front end to get a a good handle on what those costs are. yeah, kind of yeah. go into it you know, half cocked, and and they start learning and figuring this out as they're going. And that is just not the way to go into a building project. So what I would say is, is whether it's us or anybody, uh, we have a, a very strict process that we go through, you can go to our website at stonemill.com. And you can go to our process page. And it talks about the, the five steps, the five simple steps about how to get started. And, and we go through a very methodical kind of design and estimating phase before we want our clients to get too far into the project. Because if you if you start doing your planning and design on the front end to get this good faith estimate, and that good faith estimate comes over where you want to be, you do have options, right? It's not too late. You can do value engineering, you can cut cost you can you know, sacrifice some of your amenities and some of your finishes Mm -hmm. to get where you want to go, or you can bail and go another direction, right? So it's not that you're, you know, if you get halfway through a project and a construction project and you figure out you're going to go over budget, it's too late at that point. You want to, you want to prevent from getting halfway through the project and figuring out that it's too late. Uh, so that's yeah. our that's our goal. We're we're trying, you know, in a, a company we've we've been in business almost 50 years, and we've learned a lot over the last you know 48 years. And that's one of the things we've learned is is doing your planning and doing your homework on the front end just sets everything up so much better. Because there's a lot of variables in buying land. There's a lot of variables in building a home. There's a lot of variables in infrastructure.
0: I was going to say, yeah, you can cut a lot of cost out of there just by looking at the amenities in the house. It's like it's not sure for the house. You just can't afford the golden bathtubs.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Or, or, you know, I mean, again, you think about just to pick on um, I've got a client, you know, it's a small guest cabin, about 900 square feet. And he wants a full masonry fireplace with a natural stone finish on the exterior and then a natural stone finish on the interior going all the way up to the peak of the ceiling in a vaulted ceiling and and there's a significant amount of cost in that just one line item for this 900 square foot guest cabin and that's one of the line items that I've said hey you know you can sacrifice this item and do a nice wood stove on the inside and save a pretty significant amount of money the beauty behind that is now he has an option right it's not he's not bound to that If he wants to try to cut a certain amount of cost out of the project, there it is, right? Here's the number that we can cut from this, but he's got to be willing to make that sacrifice. And, you know, a lot of our clients aren't, you know, they a log home and a timber frame home. If it doesn't have a fireplace, it doesn't go together, right? So, but it's an option at that point. You have the ability to make that decision um, on what items to cut. And it's a very methodical process in getting there it's going to say yeah
0: it's it's just uh, you you mentioned it before he's like I keep on repeating this but it that's true you just have to plan you have to get the, right. the together and make sure you do your diligence for sure so um oh, yeah so how do people get a hold of you and what's the working process look like to work with stone mill yeah so uh,
1: first i guess would be at our at our site you know we're we are a um, um, a relational company we want to be able to talk to our uh, prospective clients and we want to be able to ask questions about uh, what their goals are and budget goals are and what their you know needs are and design you know uh, concepts so that they have in mind so of course first and foremost you know Give us a call. You can get our uh, phone number and contact information on our website at StoneMill.com. You know, before you call us, you can go to the website and start to kind of peruse the site, look at our photo galleries and our floor plans. The floor plans that we have are just a starting point. Pretty much everything that we do is all custom designed specifically to the property. And then when it allows anybody who wants to come and visit our headquarters here in Knoxville, Tennessee, uh, we've got models or manufacturing facility. We would love to visit because that ultimately is where we can get face to face, and we can show a prospective client kind of what we do, how our process works, go through it a little bit more specifically with them. So, yeah, we welcome it all. I mean, yes, phone call would be great. Um, you know, face to face would be great, and uh, and then if they want to, you know, reach out to us through the website via email, that's that's fine too.
0: Yeah. And I want to make sure that the the concept is understood here. Cause I don't want a, you mentioned building a, a home in Washington. And I, so I, I don't want like, you know, a, a landowner in Montana to be like, who the heck is Stone Mill? And I don't want to hear this because they're in Tennessee. What, what <laughs> we're talking about here, what we're talking about, I, I, I'm going to throw a crack at you. Like uh, I, we're talking mail order houses, right? Like this is like, you your, the it, it comes
1: to say trouble. it sounds really easy <laughs> i i i wish it was that easy but yeah, no, you make it you make it sound you make it sound really easy it, and i told you i was throwing a crack at you <laughs> that's a good one i mean there's certainly a lot more involved in it, but yes, I mean, you know, yeah, we we fun. help clients. Uh, we've got projects coming up in Montana in Idaho. Just finished one in Washington. Um, certainly, we love being in this region of the country because logistically, we don't have to to take our men uh, as far. We don't have to deliver material as far. But if there's a, a property owner that you know is interested in building a log or timber frame home, they are certainly more than welcome to reach out to us and we can't accommodate. So what we in essence do, we'll partner with them, We'll partner with their builder. If they don't have a builder, we'll help them find one if they need us to help. We'll help them on the front end. If they're working with one of the, you know, national land realty agents and, and that agent needs some help with some due diligence during uh, a, a, a due diligence period in a in an offer of a of a piece of property before they go to closing, you know, we're happy to consult with them in that, in that phase as well, uh, just to make sure that they've kind of dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's, before they go into closing and then when they close on the property then we can start really talking about design and about process and get start start to get the general contractor connected in uh, so that we can start to realize this whole goal that they've that they've got yeah and,
0: and not only are the logistics a, a, a lengthy process but the the builds themselves are highly highly precise that you guys are working with yes the, the, the they get individually engineered as you go through it. And that's something I wanted to make sure it was communicated during, during this this conversation for anybody listening is that as you go through the collection of homes that like you have models that, that you work with, that you showcase, but as you said, that, that doesn't mean much. Like that shows you the base layout that every it's conceptual, it's conceptual. So that, so that the viewer can see sort of what, what the materials look like and how the building right. and stuff. So, If you're looking at something like that, don't let yourself be limited by what it looks like. Yes, the potential here and it it can be built to anything. And in fact, that's what what you guys are set up to do is to engineer independently from that design and and make sure it fits the landscape. Make sure it fits the needs of the person. Right.
1: Right. And the building location, you know, there are no two homes built just alike. I mean, what's crazy is that. You know, a few years ago, we we did uh, two projects in Idaho. One was in Chalice and and then one was on the other side of the mountain. And they were very different as far as how they were engineered and how they were designed for the snow load requirements, the wind speed requirements, the seismic activity, the altitude that was there. So no two homes alike, you mean a home that we build in, in Washington state is going to be very different than the home that we might build in Big Sky, Montana. At nine or 10,000 foot altitude. So, yes, we use these designs as conceptual uh, ideas for prospective clients to get kind of a a general feel of what direction they want to go. And then we really customize those specifically to their needs and wants, their square footage requirements and goals, their building budget goals, their building location, their uh, zoning requirements, their wind speed and engineering and snow load requirements, seismic activity. So it's all customized specifically to that individual project. I love that
0: you said seismic activity because there is actually in chalice.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Which is, it's surprising being inland. Um, hey, Matt, yeah. I, I want to just extend my appreciation and my thanks here, man. I yeah. appreciate your time. Very cool talking to you. Um Anything else you want to add to the to kind of the end of this? I want to respect your time here at the at the end. No,
1: of the- no, I just I appreciate <laughs> you having me on. I hope that uh, for all the viewers out there that it's been helpful. Um, you're certainly welcome. Anybody that uh, has questions about this is welcome to reach out to our company to our team. Uh, I'm I'm very fortunate and blessed to have you know some very experienced sales consultants you know, seven years, 22, 23 years, and they can help as well. Do not have to reach out to me. Uh, Certainly, if they're not available, I'll be available to answer any questions. But we're we're uh, we're delighted to help. And we're we're also very grateful for the opportunity to be able to educate you know, prospective buyers and clients out there on, on how to properly go through this process just to make sure that they have a a good building experience and get to that end goal. That That is the, that's the hope is for them to be able to get to that end goal of, of building that forever home.
0: Awesome. Well, yeah, for those listeners out there looking to pick up land and build that forever home, you've got a partner in Stone Mill and uh, we'll have your, we'll have your contact information in the notes for sure. Perfect. Thank you so much for having us on. Yes, sir. Thank you. This concludes episode number 38 for the National Land Realty Podcast with Matthew Sturkey of Stone Mill Log and Timber Homes discussing what to know when buying land to build on. You can learn more about land ownership and the buying and selling of land at nationalland.com.